Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Jim, how are you doing, sir? I am fabulous, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, Matthew. But you, who knows these days? You look fabulous. You look fabulous. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you. I feel fabulous. You're at home, hiding, hiding away like the rest of us, are you? I am, in fact, at home. Yes, yes, yes. I actually work from my home. I don't, I've never been to my, I have an office here, but I've never been there. Uh, I've worked from my office always, and that's where I am. I don't have much, I have some choice now in Singapore, but not a lot. You know, it's not many places you can go. And if you could, even if you could go, you can't get there. You know, there are no planes, no boats, nothing. Uh, several times we'll, we'll get we'll get through it all well look Jim thank you so much for coming on our show really excited I, so are a lot of people who've sent in a lot of questions to ask you um, to help them with their investment ideas and, and, and strategies so appreciate that I we did a little bit of research about you and we could see you've led a very colorful life and there is the investing component and then there is this man who wants, wanted to see the world and decided to go traveling. And I've you know, read about your, your trip with your wife and before that, getting, jumping on a motorbike and going around the world. I mean, where, where, does that, where did that stem from? I'm just kind of get an idea of the man first. Well, that's a very good question. You know, I grew up in the backwoods of Alabama in a very small town. My phone number was five. That's not a typo, just one single five. So it was the kind of place where Either you never left or you never came back. Uh, but since early age, I can remember thinking, either at 16 years old, I want to see the world. There's a big world out there, uh, and I want to see it. Um, and I can remember my early days on Wall Street thinking, well, if I could ever just get some money, get on my motorcycle and go around the world. Well, eventually, I had a little bit of money. Uh, and I did want to have more than one life. I did want a life of adventure. I didn't want to wake up when I was 85, still in front of a computer on Wall Street. So I retired fairly early uh, with the goal that I was going to seek adventure. And the first thing I saw was to go around the world on a motorcycle. I know how exciting and fun motorcycles are. I also know that if you want to see something, you, you take a motorcycle, you're right there in it. It's not like being in a big uh, land cruiser or something. Motorcycle, you're part of it. So I eventually got permission. First rode around Central Europe, which was pretty hard in those days even. Then I got around China and Soviet Union said yes, and off I went. And around the world on a motorcycle, two years, uh, but it wasn't enough. I came back and wanted to do it again properly. So I, since I'd already done it on a motorcycle, I decided I would do it on a sports car. So I did it again. So I spent five years circumnavigating the globe and loved every minute. I bet you did. It, just coming back to the Alabama uh, portion, I, I grew up in Northern Ireland amongst, at, at points, and I, w I struggled with the sort of insularity of it, the ambition of it. I mean. Alabama, you know, in terms, I'm just, you know, nature, nurture, environment, you know, the, the individual, etc. You know, do you think that you were never going to be cut out for staying in Alabama because you you didn't like what you saw, or is it a case if you liked what you saw over the hill a little bit more? 
Uh, I didn't really know I was in the backwoods. I didn't know there was much else out there. I, I, well, somehow I sensed, somehow I knew, and somehow knew I wanted to know about it. Now, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of insight or a lot of knowledge, but somehow innately I knew that there was something out there. Um, and then I went to university. I went to university for, I went in the Northeast, uh, which was a big, big, big step. Uh, to get away from Alabama, and that started showing me concretely, oh my God, look at this, look at this. And so yeah, I started learning uh, by experience, and the more I experienced, the more I wanted more. I went to the UK, I went to the UK for university too, for graduate school. I said, oh my God, look at this. So I have told my children you can go to, if you want to go to university, you can go to university any way you want to, but you must go far away. You cannot stay nearby because the biggest part of my education was going far away and seeing new strange things. And that just confirmed to me. Now, listen, Matthew, when I got there, I didn't have a clue. I was lost. I was in over my head, but that was part of it. And and by the way, I couldn't go home because I'd brag and say, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. So I couldn't, I couldn't fail and go back. So I had to stick it out and loved every minute of it. I bet, I bet. And was this just because of an inquiring mind? You wanted to know how things worked? Or is this, uh, what, 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 what was it that you were chasing, do you think? Well, I, I, at the time, and as I, you mentioned it, I look back, uh, I applied to the University of, in the Northeast because they gave a scholarship to a club I was in. I really wasn't applying to the university. I was applying more for that club, for that scholarship. Uh, fortunately for me, that scholarship was at a university far away. Um, and, and by the way, it was absurd that I applied for it. There's no way I could have gotten it. I got it, but it was absurd. It was pure accident. Why did you say that? Uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a school with 40 people and some of them couldn't read and write, you know. Um, I, I did extremely well, but that's, as I say, it was no competition. Um, and, and when I, I, the university was Yale, which is somewhat famous, um, I asked them why they took me and the guy said, look at your grades. I said, what, what, what? Most of them couldn't read and write. What do you mean my grades? Uh, so I knew I was in over my, it didn't take long to find out I was in over my head. Everybody was much better prepared. Everybody knew a lot more. But I, I don't know, an ignorant young teenager, wanted to apply for that scholarship, which I did. As I said, I wasn't applying to Yale so much as I was applying for that scholarship. The scholarship happened to be at Yale. Then I got it. I was stuck. <laughs> I had to take it. I couldn't, I, I, you know, I'd brag so much. Oh my God, now what do I do? Couldn't go home, give up. Had a great time. So I worked my head off, had to work my head off, uh, but every minute was uh, an education. And a lot of the education was just, oh my God, look what he's wearing. You know, God, look at that food. Everything was different. Everything was different. So again, again, just kind of build the picture of the characteristics involved. So we, we've, we've talked about being inquisitive and it, you felt that you were sort of the, the bottom of the pile when you walked into Yale. There's a better people, better prepared um, than you, brighter than you. So you had to work hard. 
Did you actually, was it a case? Did you actually quickly work out, actually, you're as clever as them. It was just a case that they had been better prepared. Or did you always feel that you were all having to work harder to just, you know, keep up? They were all better prepared. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, in my little school, if we read a book a year in a class, it was a lot of work. Well, here they give you a book to read in a week, you know, cut three or four days. Uh, and nobody seemed to mind except me. I was in over my head. It was, there was no question they all had been better prepared. They went to fancy boarding schools or even rigorous public high schools. Uh, they obviously were very, did very well. They wouldn't have gotten into Yale. Uh, but I, I went to this backwood school where people couldn't read and write. Uh, I, I, I was not at all prepared. So I panicked. I mean, I guess I had some brain power because I, I worked very, very hard. The main advantage, not advantage, but the main thing, I had worked very, very, very hard. Uh, I had that capability from my parents or my genes or something. And so I could and did work very hard and did well and survived and had fun. But it was a lot of work, a lot of panic, a lot of saying, oh, my gosh, what are they talking about? You know, but but I, I survived. And does that set the tone for you for your early days? Because you made a lot of money very early, right? But you did you walk into the work environment also thinking the same thing? Hang on, everyone's better than me here. I need to work hard. Or did well, a new, new set of uh, drivers come along? Well, I, it was more or less an accident that I stumbled onto Wall Street. Uh, I mean, I didn't know anything about Wall Street, but I liked the guy and he offered me a job and I got there and I fell in love because, oh my God, I love the world and what's happening and this is, they'll pay me. I didn't know anything about Wall Street. I knew it was in New York. I knew something bad happened in 1929. I didn't know the difference in stocks. I didn't know there was a difference in stocks and bonds. For all I knew, they were all the same thing. But when I got there, of course, I assumed that everybody who was educated and experienced knew what they were doing. But it didn't take me long to figure out, well, they don't know what they're doing either, <laughs> you know, even though they're educated and, and more experienced. You know, most people don't make it, in, at least they, they can make it, maybe have jobs, and they make it as a job, but not making it as great investors or successful investors. But I didn't know that. I got there, and I just assumed they all knew what they were doing. Took me some experience to realize, oh, they don't know either. Uh, and then I had to figure out my own way, which was fine, which was good. I made plenty of mistakes in the beginning, had some successes, but it, I, I had to learn my own way. So tell me this, over here in the UK, there used to be something called the, uh, the old school tie. So if you went to the right schools, you went to the right university, usually Oxford, Cambridge, you, you could walk into pretty much any job because they'd look after each other. I mean, you're the, having gone to Yale, did that help? Well. Certainly being in those days and now too, uh, going to Yale was of use. You know, there were people, many people, especially in those days who were Harvard, Yale, Princeton types. Uh, that was, there was still a lot of that. You know, Wall Street was somewhat of a backwater in the 60s because of what had happened in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I mean, now every kid at Oxford wants to start a hedge fund in his room. Uh, you know, every, every girl at Harvard wants to start a hedge fund in her room. 
But in those days, no, no, I, I went to Oxford after I went to Yale. And my, my, I remember my Don telling me, why are you so interested in the stock market? Nobody cares about the stock market. Not important to England, not important to the world, etc. He was right. I was not knowledgeable enough to know that. I was not knowledgeable enough that who cared. I just happened to love it. So fortunately, I stayed with it. Uh, and fortunately, yeah, I guess I got that first job because I, yeah, I know I got it because I went to Yale. Uh, but it, that gets you a job or two these days or still. But it doesn't make you successful. Listen, a lot of people I went to Yale with sort of peaked when they went to Yale. A lot of people I went to Oxford with peaked when they went to Oxford. I know guys from Cambridge has been downhill since they went to Cambridge. Um, but, I mean, listen, there's plenty of people who go to Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale are fabulous. But, but uh, it takes more than that, I now know. That's, I guess, where I'm getting to is because I think there's a set of conventions and rules that you've, you've followed. You, you, I mean, you've been quite gracious. You're saying, you know, I, you sort of did things by accident, but I, I suspect there was a little bit of t- determination in there too. But at some point, something clicked with you. You were looking around at the people, at, you know, uh, in Wall Street and going, these guys aren't all driven. They aren't all bright. They aren't all doing it the right way. And I, I think I've, I've worked out a code here. And does that come through confidence in yourself? Is it a bit of aggression? Is it just an, uh, analysis? Or again, are you going to put it down to luck? I mean, how, how did it well, all work out for you? In my case, it was because I was scared. I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, I, I was scared to death. Oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Uh, I knew I didn't know anything. I knew this was not easy. I knew, like, whether it was the schools or Wall Street. I say at first, I, I just assumed they all knew what they were doing, and I would listen to them, but then I figured out they didn't. Uh, and so then I had realized I had to do it myself, uh, come up with my own way. Uh, I, I had successes. Um, back early in my career, I had a great, great, I tripled my money in a few months when everybody else was going broke. But then, you know, it made me think I knew what I was doing. And five months later, I lost everything, lost everything because uh, I thought I was so smart. Um, and I learned I was not fun losing everything. But I had to start over. So I did um, and survived. One of the problems I now know of going to Oxbridge or Arbogeum Many of I mean, people that I knew came out of there thinking, well, I'm smart. The world owes me a living. You know, I'm a Cambridge graduate. Uh, the world doesn't owe you a living. The world doesn't care. Maybe your first job or two, they care that you are a Cambridge graduate. But after that, especially on Wall Street, they don't care if you dropped out of high school if your stocks go up. And they don't care if you went to Cambridge if your stocks go down. You know, yeah. it's a pretty straightforward kind of place to be. Yeah, That was one of the great beauties of Wall Street, of investing. Absolutely. Now, I, we, we have a fa- family friend who was at Cambridge uh, of a certain age. And uh, within within a minute of meeting most people, he's told them that he's gone to Cambridge all his life, which was mild, mildly amusing. Um, but it, it, it goes to your point of perhaps having achieved early, they then sort of sat back and took it coasted the rest of their lives, which I think is a shame sometimes. 
Well, my wife, uh, who's uh, 25, 26, many years younger than me, came to New York uh, because of me uh, later. And, and she realized almost you know, nearly every time we went somewhere, the people who went to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton would tell her that within four minutes. There you go. <laughs> you know? and, and she always said, what's wrong? You don't ever tell anybody. They think you dropped off a turnip truck. You know, yeah, of course, in my early days, I did too. But I now realize uh, I better not tell them that. They right. might think I'm smart. <laughs> then the pressure's on. Um, right, well, we better, we better sort of get into kind of the, the, the environment, which I think most people want us to be talking to you about, which is around the investing. So, you know, having made a, a, a stack of money quite early, I mean, you made a lot of money very young, pre-40, pre did that... What 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 was the decision at that point? You think actually I, I I have all the answers. I've got all the money. I've got all the optionality in the world. Do I become a different person? Um, do I behave a different way, or is it just the same old me? I mean, you must have sort of had a talk to yourself at that point. Well, uh, I did. At the time, it seemed like a lot of money. Now guys make that much money in an afternoon, you know, in the city of London or, or on Wall Street. Uh, at the time, I did, it didn't change me. I, did, I, I, I didn't move. I lived in the same house, didn't buy a car, didn't buy a boat or a plane, didn't buy girlfriends, you know. I uh, didn't buy second or third homes. Uh, I've never had a second home. I don't want a second home. Uh, and, and I don't, didn't even want a car. I didn't do this because uh, of material. I didn't, because they're material items I wanted. I wanted to buy my freedom. Ever since I was young, as I said, I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do, and I wanted to see the world. If I had some money, I would have the freedom to do what I wanted. I didn't do it for paintings and prestige items. I did it so I would have my own freedom to do as I wanted, and I didn't have to be nice to anybody if I didn't want to be. It was very simple, very simple goal. The execution has been very simple. I still don't have a lot of ostentatious stuff to show. Uh, don't want it, don't need it, don't know, it'd be, it'd be a problem. You know, if I had an airplane, what a pain it would be. Oh my God, I got to have a pilot, I got to park it. I want a simple life. And simple life means just having enough money to do what I want to do. And I don't want to do a lot of things. Now, do you think, do you think that you could replicate the success you had today with computers, with you know, more information, more data? Um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do, how do you analyze the world? Because you, you, know, you look at all these quant guys, you've got this AI, AI you've got these various algorithms helping people make decisions. How do, how, what do you look at? How do you make decisions? Well, since I'm not smart enough to understand the algorithms, uh, I have learned, Matthew, that if you have a way that works in the investment world, do it. Don't listen to me. It's worked for a guy named Roy Newberger, who is the most extraordinary short-term trader. I mean, he didn't really know what IBM did, but he could trade IBM every minute, every day, every week. And, you know, 50 or 100 stocks like that, he was an astonishing short term. I'm horrible at it, horrible at it. But I used to sit there in awe and watch the guy. 
as a short-term trader. So everybody can do it their own way. Uh, my way was more fundamental. Uh, I, I guess I could learn about algorithms. I, I have found a way which is somewhat successful. Uh, and of course, as I said, everybody can have their own way. Can it be? Yeah, of course it can be. Matthew, people have been making fortunes for hundreds of years in various and sundry ways. Don't think that I'm the last guy to make a lot of money. You know, lots of people make a lot, lot, lot more money now in whatever ways and in many different fields, including the city of London, Wall Street, many other ways. So don't, don't, don't worry. There are many, many, many fortunes to be made in the next century and many to be lost. So, because I'm, I'm wondering how much of your decision making is informed uh, by your world travels, you know, going around and seeing countries literally at the ground level, on the streets, um, experiencing the way that people live down there. Because you, you, you've, you've, we've read a lot about, you know, your conversations about North, investing in North Korea, Pakistan, India, Venezuela, places like this, which most people just the mention of the name makes them, you know, stop in their tracks. Um, but you, 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 you quite like um, the, the op- some of the opportunities available in countries like that, don't you? Uh, well, yes, and I, which came first? Uh, I mean, I can remember when I first went to Wall Street, I remember once telling to people about buying the Danish krona. They all left the room. And what the hell I was talking about and didn't care. Uh, and that was long before I had world travels. So I guess it's something has always been there. I told you, I, would, I loved when I found out I could do Wall Street because I would do, I would know about the world. So I guess that's always been there. Uh, and it is, of course, we, we invested internationally in the 70s when most people only invested on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, that's always been there, still is. And I do pay attention to the world because I know that there are opportunities out there in the world. Uh, I, I make plenty of mistakes, but I, I am aware. I was speaking to a reporter the other day, and I mean, I really was very, very surprised. She's a, an older person. She knows a lot. And most of what I was talking about in the world, she had no clue. Absolutely no clue, uh, which, is, which is fine. That's her way. That's her way. She's very successful at what she does and well-known at what she does. But what she does is not... Zimbabwe doesn't know or care, doesn't need to. I guess every, every look, you know, I think you're right. You've got to find your own style. You've got to find your own risk appetite. You've got to find things that you're interested in or where you think you can make money. That, there's, there's no problem with that. Um, you, know, you know, be niche or be broad. It's, it's down to you. Um, I guess what people are intrigued by when they uh, listen to people who've had success about trying to understand the sort of nuances of around the moments where decisions are made, the when you know decisions are taken to you know place that bet to invest their own wealth, and especially for retail guys, you know who don't necessarily have as much, you know don't necessarily have a lot of money. They've either earned it, been given it, or been lucky enough to have it for whatever reason, um, and they're just looking, I guess, for affirmation that their decision-making is is solid, is on, on, on good ground. What you're saying is just be sure in yourself or do your homework. I mean, what, what would you say to retail investors about how to approach this? 
Well, I would say to everybody, especially retail, they're not doing it eight hours a day or 12 hours a day. If you want to be successful, don't listen to me. Maybe you can listen to Matthew, but don't listen to me and most other people. Don't listen to the internet, the TV. Just stay with what you know. Now, Matthew, everybody watching this knows a lot about something, whether it's cars or sports or fashion. You look at it every day. You think about it. You read about it every day uh, when you go. When you see something that you know is going to succeed, most people say, all right, that's great. Maybe they'll tell their friends. But you have to learn to think like an investor. You know, that's going to work. Now, what do I do? And if you learn to think like an investor, then you start figuring out the companies, the people, the competition, you, you do your research. And then if you're convinced and you have confirmed in your own, not, you already know more about it than I'll ever know. It's what you do every day anyway. You sit there and go on the internet and go to the TV and everything. When you're convinced, then you act. When you do your research, Matthew, if I told you you can only have 20 investments in your life, you'd be very careful. You wouldn't be jumping around in and out all the time. You'd make a few decisions and you'd become very, and you'd also know when to sell, by the way, long before I would, long before anybody on Wall Street would, but you'd see the changes that are coming, the negative changes. And if you want, I mean, it's boring, 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 boring. Everybody wants a hot tip, Matthew. Everybody wants to be rich this week. Okay, okay, I hear what you said. Just give me one hot tip, just one, just one. Hot tips will send you to the, for the poor house. If you want to be successful, wait until you find something you yourself know is going to work and then think like an investor and research and act and buy the shares. And then you send me an email, okay? And I'll do my research as well. But if you want to be successful, it's that easy, that hard. That's the way you do it. I totally agree with that. I think one aspect I would add to that would be be honest with yourself because we, we deal with this kind of cognitive bias which goes on through social media where perhaps people, you're right, they want the, the easy tips, the quick wins, but they then stick around for too long in a stock because they can justify it by any means and they forget to exit. That, that, I think that's a kind of interesting thing which is going on at the moment in, in, in social media is this justification for bad decisions. Well, we all want instant gratification, but if you're going to be successful, you better learn some patience because successful investors do nothing most of the time. They're either waiting to find something and once they find something, wait for it to grow, mature, develop. It may take a year, 10 years. I mean, if you're really getting good at this, find something that's going to go up for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's the ideal kind of investment. You don't have to work too hard. <laughs> you just have to stay aware and stay on top of it to make sure your your original idea and your original thesis was right. And so you're saying- now, If you're a short-term trader and there are people who are fabulous at it, that's a different, different, different right. way. That's not my way. Right. I'm no good at that. But if you are, then- do it your way. I was about to say, so you're, you're happy sitting on a, on a paper gain for a long time if you think and believe that the company will continue to grow. 
you don't ever feel the urge to yeah, I love that. Table. I love that. Then I don't have to work. I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to look for something else. You know? That's all good. Um, okay, so I think I know the answer to the next one because um, I've been asked by um, one of our club members to talk about your view about Bitcoin and its relation to the current economies and precious metals. Well, uh, you, you asked two or three questions there. Mm. Uh, it, money is going to be on the computer. Uh, there's no question about that. It's going to be our money. It's going to be internet money in the future. It already is in China. You, you can't take a taxi in China with money. You can't buy ice cream in China with money. They're way ahead of us. If you want to take a taxi, you better have your phone. You better have money on your phone. So that's already happening. It's going to become more and more. And governments, of course, love it. Nearly every government in the world, probably every, is working on uh, Internet money now because uh, it's the future. It's cheap. They don't have to print it, transport it, account for it, protect it. Oh, they love Internet money. And, of course, it gives them total control. They'll know everything about you. They'll say, oh, Matthew, you've been drinking too much tea this month. Cut back on your tea. I mean, they'll know everything you do. I mean, I hate that, of course, but they love it. So money, and money is going to be on the internet. There's no question. Now, will it be? And, and there are plenty of people who have made a lot of money in Bitcoin, apparently, and some of, some of the cryptos. Many of the cryptos have disappeared and gone to zero already, but uh, Bitcoin, of course, not. Uh, my view is that uh, if Bitcoin becomes successful as money, Governments will outlaw it. Uh, they don't want to lose the, the, the monopoly. They don't lose, want to lose the power. Now, the Bitcoin, the, the crypto people say, well, we're smarter than the government. And of course they are, Matthew. Everybody's smarter than the government. But the government has guns. And if the government makes it illegal, most people will not do it anymore. Um, I mean, some might, but I don't know what the point is if it's an illegal then, yeah, of course, there'll be people, people who do illegal stuff all the time. But then that's, that's the future of crypto. It's, you know, it's an illegal, I mean, in my view, governments are not going to give up their power if and when it becomes successful. But all money is going to be on the Internet. No question about that. That's Already a, is in some places. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's an interesting conundrum, the timing around that, you know, when does it become unmanageable for governments? Or do you think they can, as you, I think you just said, they can shut it down at any time? Well, they can make it illegal. That doesn't shut it down. I mean, uh, marijuana is illegal in many places, but it's there, not shut down, the big trade, et cetera. Uh, but it's still illegal. Uh, governments also are the, a potential problem, of course, with uh, inter internet money is that if electricity goes down or if the internet goes down, uh, either on purpose or by accident, then you're in serious trouble. Uh, and governments know that. I know that. And so, I mean, it's not, uh, even if it becomes even more successful, which it looks like it might, there's still potential problems there that, that other things don't, I mean, at least paper money, we can go in the shop and buy buy a loaf of bread, even if the electricity's down. Um, but if the internet's down, I can't go in there and buy a loaf of bread with electronic money. 
Well, talking about energy, I'd like your view on the next thing. I've read somewhere that you're pro-Trump and you, he's, you feel that he's better. Pro-Trump? Yeah, is that right? No, where do you read that? Oh, crikey, sorry. I, I thought I'd read that in a document. Well, maybe, maybe what you read was that I, I predicted he would win in 2016. You sound like my daughter. My daughter, I said, he's going to win. My daughter said, what? I said, wait a minute, I didn't say I voted for him. I didn't vote for him. I'm just telling you he's going to win. Okay. He assumed that he was going to win. I mean, I was pro-Trump. Get clear that up. And I'm glad I asked us a question instead of accusing you. I did not <laughs> vote for Mr. Trump either time. Right. So the question is, so what do you think of what he's done in the last four years of being in government in the context of doing business? So you're in Asia. You're in Singapore right now. In, in terms of relations, uh, geopolitical relations, not just Asia, but elsewhere. Do you feel he took the right stance? It was positive for America. How, you know, what's, what's the feeling or the mood on the street in Asia, do you feel? Well, he's certainly making China great again. That's for sure. You know, his first day he pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Everybody in Asia looked around. That leaves China. At least it's all open to China now. I've not heard that uh, phrase. Sorry. Said. That's quite new. No, well, I'm telling you, he's making China great again. Uh, recently, there was a 15-nation free trade agreement. What's it called? I forget, regional, whatever it's called. America's not in it. 15 major Asian nations, including China, Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, allies of America, uh, are all in it. The world's moving on. Uh, they're not sitting here waiting and America's being left out of these things anyway. Uh, is that good for America? I, I, I doubt it. But, you know, Mr. Trump thinks, seems to think it is or it wouldn't have happened. Or he, he wouldn't have done it anyway. So, no, I mean, Asia's got a lot going for it in the future anyway, which is why I live here. Uh, and Mr. Trump so far has certainly not done anything to damaged the, the rise of Asia and the rise of China. Yes, he certainly may cause problems for everybody, including America. But no, uh, I, I, I say I look around and I see more and more people being forced to stay in Asia, look in Asia to see the opportunities in Asia because of what's happening in America. Do I like it? Of course not. But facts are facts. Yeah, it's interesting. It's been a, it's kind of like a, you know a retraining neural pathways. This is so you know we're changing supply chains uh, and adapting um, whilst that's happening. So, but do you, but do you think with uh, it looks like Biden will be coming in? He's the president elect. Um, I, let's assume none of these um, court cases actually hold anything up. Do you feel that Biden can walk back in and uh, re-engage? Do you think that Asia wants it now that they've seen they can do without America? Well, uh, I am sure that the people around Mr. Biden realize what has happened. And they, I'm sure they don't want the world to move on without America. I'm sure somebody in Washington says, wait a minute, let's get on this train too. Uh, so I'm sure they will try to re-engage. Will people accept it? I, I would suspect so, yes. I'm sure many American allies say, so come back, come back. We want, we want you. But, you know, Mr. Trump blamed his problems on Japan, Korea, Germany, Mexico. Can't blame it on everybody. 
especially China, especially China. But no, no, I mean, America is the largest economy in the world, and I'm sure people will do whatever they can. I'm sure Mr. Biden and his people will do what they can to open up Asia again, and I'm sure that the Asians will do what they can to open up more and more too. Um, the problem, uh, Matthew, is that when things, when there are problems in the world, people always blame the foreigners all over the world throughout history. It's easy because they have different skin, different eyes, different language, different food, different clothes, different religion. They smell bad. Their food smells bad. I believe some of the things I've heard. Um, so when things start getting bad in the world economy in the next year, two, three, whenever they do again, so an easy reaction everywhere is going to be to blame the foreigners. And so I'm sure in Washington, they're going to blame the foreigners again. Uh, I hope that things will have re-engaged and opened by then so that it, it can be reversed. But if, it, if, if the problems come too soon, then we get, may get more and more hitting each other in the face as much as we can. How do we as economies get over the fact that we are pumping trillions of dollars into the system and creating huge amounts of debt for my children, my grandchildren, etc. Because that's impossible to recover from unless we do something significant. You know, America, if we were sitting here a year ago, America was the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. And since then, the debt has gone up by trillions for the T. Look at the UK. The UK essentially is bankrupt. But it's not just the UK, Japan, oh my God. You know, Japan's population has been declining for 10 years and their debt's been skyrocketing. You know, every day the Bank of Japan goes to work, prints money as fast as he can, buys stocks, buys ETFs, buys bonds. I, I, I own Japanese ETFs too. If he's gonna buy, he got more money than I do. So if he was going to buy Japanese ETFs, I am. But the point is, the debt is going to, if you're 10 years old in Japan, Matthew, you have a very bleak future because the population has already been declining for 10 years. When you're 50, I'm going to be in Japan. The debt will have gone who knows how high and, and no population to pay it off. Are you going to pay it off? I'm not. I don't know what they're going to do. 100 years ago, the UK was the richest, most powerful country in the world. There was no number two. It was no, not even a competitor 100 years ago. Well, the Brits said, okay, well, we can just spend it all. And 50 years later, the UK was bankrupt. You know, I remember when the INF had to fly into Heathrow to bail out the UK. That only took a few years, decades. Uh, so this is not the first time this has happened. And it's good to be old. Being being 12 in the West or 10 in Japan or whatever, you know, eventually, two years from now, eight years from now, people will say, wait, what about all this debt? What do we do now? Now, of course, there's a theory around right now, MMT, more money today, where well, you just print it up. It's wonderful. Mr. Marx had a wonderful theory, too. Yeah, many people tried it for a long time. Nobody wants to be a Marxist anymore. And I'm sure though, for a while, people will try this beautiful thing, more money today. But maybe something has changed, but it's always led to problems eventually. So yes, no, 
what I am trying to do, Matthew, and maybe, you know, maybe Crux investors can help me, uh, is figure out where the world is moving. The world has always moved. It's not the first time the world's had huge changes. Uh, the world's medium of exchange has only lasted 100 years or so. They've always moved on to something else. Uh, I know that most of Europe is bankrupt, both demographically and financially. I know that America is certainly bankrupt financially and overextended politically. Uh, I am trying to figure out where Vietnam, certainly the Korean Peninsula, I can see play Colombia. I can see places that are on my list I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I were 18, where would I go? Because in 40 years, 30 years, 50 years, there's going to be a big change. And of course, we have to, you want to go where the big positive change is coming, not where the big negative change is coming. You know, if we were sitting here in 1895, most people would not have said America. I mean, America was absurd. It was, it, they, we used to bank, we used to swindle Europeans. We had very little rule of law. You know, we were thieves, outlaws, etc. Wild West was a misnomer. So some would have said U.S. More probably would have said Argentina if we were sitting in Europe uh, in 1895. And, and they did say, many did say Argentina. They, they got it wrong. The ones who said U.S. got it right. Uh, but, you know, not many would have said the U.S. then. So I am trying to figure out where. I know it's moving and I know it's changing. And I'm trying to figure out where. But so that's an anthropological question in, in a way, too, because it depends what you want out of life, whether you've got a long-term view or a short-term view, because as an 18-year-old, I don't know if you do think about it um, that much. You, you want all the trappings of wealth and success, but if you're talking about society moving forward, there's some bigger problems like food, food security, water security. Um, not you know, because if, if I'm going to uh, Colombia or Venezuela or places like that, I've got a different standard of living, you know, different expectations as you know, someone in that country. But if I'm coming from the West, it's you want, 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 and your expectations are well, perhaps ridiculous in, in the kind of future well, that you're you describing. You just described England in the 50s and 60s. There was food insecurity, water insecurity, exchange controls. And then we spent it all. Constant currency crises. <laughs> constant currency crises. Then eventually, 76, the IMF bailed them out. And of course, Margaret Thatcher came along and she took credit, but we were say, the, the year she came to power, the North Sea oil started flowing. Matthew, you give me a, the largest oil well in the world and I'll show you a good time. You know, of course, Margaret Thatcher did some correct things, but that's what saved the UK. It wasn't, it wasn't. Well, give yeah. me the biggest. Oil. Yeah, exactly. But if give you, me a gigantic. But but even that's running out now. But that's a different question. There we go. Uh, and, and people do compare, you know, what Britain did with their oil versus the Norwegians. So uh, yeah, not, I think today you'd argue the Norwegians did it right. I'll let you decide that. I'm not English. I cannot tell you what to do. Nor am I Norwegian. 
I just know we're broke, Jim. I just know we're broke. (laughs) I know you. I know. Oh, my gosh. I know you're broke. You know, I don't know what's going to save you this time, especially if the Scots leave and take that part of the oil, you know, and if the Irish leave, be serious. You know, what's it called? The Great Britain of the, the, the United Kingdom of England, Scotland, whatever it's called. It's only been around two or three hundred years. That's not something that fell out of the, out of heaven thousand years ago. Might not always be around, but that's a different question. Uh, there are countries, there are countries that don't have huge debt. Uh, there are countries that may get it right. They always have been throughout history anyway. There have always been countries rising and always countries declining. The key is to find out. Okay, I mean North Korea doesn't have any debt. Why do we lend money to North Korea? Uh, so maybe by accident, it might be a place to look. I am certainly looking. Uh, there are the Vietnam. Nobody would lend any money to Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. There may be places where one can find opportunities. Colombia, you know, Colombia was destroyed by drug wars. Well, marijuana is now legal in many places and, and, and they have a natural advantage. And marijuana, the UN just last week said marijuana should not be illegal. Uh, So there's going to be a lot more money made in marijuana in the next decade or two. Maybe that's Colombia. Matthew, the answer to your question is I'm looking. Yes, there is going, if if that's what you mean by a great reset, no question it's coming because some of us are deep in debt. Some of us have demographic problems. Some of us have many problems. So the key is to find the places that don't. It, it, it's a big conversation that could run and run for many, many hours, I suspect. Um, but we should move on. because No, no, a- it could. It, if it can go on for many hours, not with me, because I only, there are only six or eight answers, and I'm trying to find them. Right. I've got some questions sent in. Would you mind answering some questions from our uh, lovely followers, subscribers, um, and viewers? Of course, whatever you want. So um, I think they want to talk about um, mining commodities. I think, again, I've read, I may be wrong, uh, that you feel that commodities is a space which could do well in the next few years. Um, again, because of the, the, the economies, the you know, fiscal stimulus by people like China, Europe, Etc. We're going to well, need this yeah, stuff. Matthew, as I look around the world, I know bonds are in a bubble. There's no question that bonds are not in some kind of bottom historic or any any other way. Bonds are definitely a bubble. But that asset class is out. Many stock markets are near all-time highs. Don't mean they can't keep going up, but it's not as though they're at 10-year lows or something with despair in the market. Property in many places, UK, many places, Certainly not cheap. Yeah, property is cheap in Zimbabwe. So there are places that's cheap. But for most of the places that we're talking about, property is not cheap. The only asset class that I see that's cheap at the moment is, I mean, commodities. I mean, silver's down 50% from its all-time high. Sugar's down 80% from its all-time high. No, agriculture has been a disaster for a long, long time. The highest rate of suicide in the UK is in agriculture. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. Does that mean you should buy? Well, it means you, I anyway am buying and I'm looking because 
that asset class, and I, I will be buying more silver, uh, that asset class is certainly cheap compared to others on a historic basis. You're talking about the, the uh, gold silver I tell you, ratio. I'm buying Japanese ETF. Right. Yeah, by Japanese markets down 30% from its all-time high. America's making all-time highs. Not only is Japan cheap, uh, comparatively, head of the central bank buys ETFs every day. Now, I've told you, Japan has staggering problems if you're 10 years old. But I'm, I'm worried about 2021. <laughs> I'm not, not focusing on 2050 today. Well, I suspect a lot of our viewers will be too. I'm looking at, yeah, they're in the lucky position they can invest and they want to invest. Uh, they're looking at uh, all commodities, uh, metals, but, you know, whether it be base metals or precious metals, they're looking at those. I mean, have you got any uh, favorites amongst the metals? Well, copper's make, making seven year highs, and that's part of it because, you know, if electric cars are coming, electric cars use five or six times as much copper. As regular cars, nickel, I mean, regular cars have nickel, but electric cars have much, much, much more. So there are changes taking place. I prefer silver because silver is down 50%. Uh, so yeah, metal, but ag agriculture, I'm buying an agricultural ETF as we speak. Um, so yes, um, but, but you know, I, as I said before, Matthew, if people don't know how to buy silver, they should not listen to some guy talking to you and rush out and buy silver. They don't even know what silver is. For goodness sakes, don't buy silver. I've been investing in this stuff for 50 years, so I know a little bit about it. I hope, I hope. But if you've never bought silver, don't know how to buy gold, for goodness sakes, don't listen to me. I agree with that. Do your homework. Know what you're getting into. And take your time making that decision too. Um, yep. And one person is just asking, because I'm just conscious of time, um, Jim, your time, um, is uh, your, your thoughts on the uranium. Because again, coming back to our geopolitical conversation earlier, US is a big driver of that. Um, have you got any views on uranium? I know that uranium has been had serious problems for several years, and that usually leads to a bottom. Uh, and it, I read, I mean, I haven't bought any, but I read that uh, there are fundamental changes taking place. And I mean, it's been a long bear market in uranium. And always when there's a long bear market, it nearly in anything, it always leads to fundamental changes. Supply goes down, demand goes up, or demand starts building up. And that seems to be happening with uranium, too, from what I read. But I have not done enough to say any more than that. But I have noticed that the prices seem to be going up. Yeah. One last question. Your views on the dollar going forward in terms, I know we talked about the economy, but in terms of the dollar's resilience, what do you think is going to happen going forward with the dollar? Well, I own a lot of U.S. dollars. Um, the United States, as I said before, is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and it's getting worse every hour. Uh, so you'll probably say, well, why do you own the U.S. dollar? Uh, because when the, when the turmoil comes again, and it will come again, now, Janet Yellen, who's the new Treasury Secretary of America, says, no, 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 we're not going to have ever eco economic problems again. We've sorted it out. We've gone to a couple of fancy Ivy League universities, so if you believe her, you should 
not listen. But I know there will be economic problems again in the future. Uh, and when they come, people will look for a safe haven. And for historic reasons, people have always looked at the US dollar and they will again. That's why I own it. Um, it's gonna get overpriced, could turn into a bubble, depending on how bad things get, at which point I'd have to sell my US dollars, which I don't want to, but I'll have to. Uh, and then I gotta put my money somewhere else. Uh, no reserve currency, no international medium of exchange has lasted forever, 100, 150 years. Uh, and the US dollar has been around for a while on top. There are economic reasons for that to change. I just explained some of them, but also political reasons. You know, an international medium of exchange is supposed to be neutral. Anybody in the world, you can use it anywhere. But, you know, now Washington, if they get angry, actually, they put you under sanctions. Well, so many countries are starting to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, but that's not what we can't work that way. So China, Russia, India, Brazil, a few countries, Iran, are now working on a competing, something to compete with the U.S. dollar. So it's coming. I mean, I can explain to you economically and politically why the days of the U.S. dollar are coming to an end. Not this week. I own a lot of them. I hope not this week. Uh, but no, I, I expect it. I own it. I hope it. I expect it to go up. But I can see that this is not the early days of a big bull market in the U.S. dollar. Okay. Jim, one last question for you. You, you get wiser, or certainly more experienced, more knowledgeable as the longer you live. You look at, looking back now at the various moments, big moments in your life, is there anything that the gym of today would like to tell the younger versions of yourself, things you'd wish you'd known? Well, I've certainly made plenty of mistakes. I would have, you want to hear about my first wife, Matthew? Oh, go, go for oh. it. Go for it. <laughs> you know, I would have explained to the younger Jim about, I would have tried to explain more about people of the opposite sex. I probably would have tried to explain a lot of things. Um, I, I've had what to me is a happy and successful and fun life, certainly with mistakes, uh, but I don't, I don't have any regrets if I do, I'm not conscious of them. Well, I wish I hadn't married my first wife, but you know, even that was a learning experience. And if you learn from your mistakes, you, you, the mistakes are usually good if you learn from them. Um, I guess maybe, you know, I went to China in 1984 and I saw what was happening and I went back and talked a lot about it. Uh, I guess if I'd really been smart, I would have stayed in China in the eighties and I'd be really rich. Um, on the other hand, I went back to America, New York, and had fantastic, went around the world twice, did a lot of very interesting to me and exciting things. So I don't, yeah, if I'd gone, to, if I'd stayed in China in the 80s, oh my God, I hope, I presume I would have had an unbelievably exciting and happy life, but I had an unbelievable and happy life doing other things too. So, you know, who's to say, who's to say? Uh, Yes, I would tell the younger Jim more about women, or more about people of the opposite sex. Uh, but even that, I'm not sure you you can 
teach people, they have to learn. You know, I'm sure we can tell teenagers, oh, for God's sakes, what are you talking about? You're in love. You know, we can tell them all day long. But they really think you're just nuts. You something wrong with you. Because they really, really deeply, deep down, movingly are so in love. Well, you and I know that I can tell them all day long. We can show them poetry, poems, plays, novels. Cliche. I don't think it's going to work. Cliches. I don't think Cliches. It's <laughs> Lots of them. Well, like Jim, we better we better leave it there. Thank you very much for coming on our show. I know you're a much requested, but you know, very popular in the media. Um, and why, why do you why do why do you feel the need to kind of talk to? lots and lots of, of media. You, you get out there sort of sharing your thoughts and views all the time. I mean, you, you could be at home well, enjoying the family. I will tell you, Matthew, um, when I started, whatever I started, Wall Street, other things, university, there were people who helped me, who people would talk to me, give me advice, help me, and it made a difference. So, I, I used to have a job. I know what it's like. I know that people, I mean, if they want to talk to me, I don't usually have much to gain. You're right. I have very little to gain, but it usually doesn't hurt me. And maybe I can help somebody, especially if it's somebody, well, you're young. I get, it, maybe it will help you. I um, hope I don't hurt you. And so why not? I can sit here and be a recluse all day long and say, humbug, 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 go away and leave me alone. Or I can say, what can I do to help you? Um, and why not? Uh, maybe I'll, there'll be a period in my life when I'll become a recluse and say, go away, get out of here, get them out of here. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because I would like to help his people as much as just as people Still remember, I wish I could, I mean, he's dead. I wish I could find him again just to talk to him because of uh, how he would sit and listen to me. Um, and I had no clue what I was doing. A couple of guys like that, in fact, more than two. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, who I was or anything. So, I mean, you're not an old guy, but if you were, you could help me. But you, since you cannot, maybe I can help you. We try, we and, try. And what it costs me, Matthew, is I don't think it costs me a lot of money. It costs me time, but I don't have a job. So why not? Well, we're glad that you do, Jim. We're glad that you do. And I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to have met you and uh, have the chance to speak to you. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to meet you. And if you think I should stop, let me know. Okay. Oh no! Oh no! You you you'll be getting that uh, begging email for a return conversation shortly. No, 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 no. Okay. And in the meantime, please, why don't you go and write a book about dealing with the opposite sex? <laughs> I'll give it a go. It'll be a very short book. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.